Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, Magic and Alchemy is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lissenby. Hello and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. Happy Mercury Day. Yeah, happy Mercury Day, witch. How goes it? It goes well. It goes well. How are you today? I know I am so excited because we're back here to talk mythical creatures. Yes. Yeah, things are good here. It's like full summer. I woke up and it was 80 and I was like, it's here. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, mythical creatures, we cannot get enough listeners. Yes. And um, listeners, fun fact, off air, Kate and I talk a lot about sacred rage. Yes, it's true. It confirmed. (laughs) And, you know, so today, inspired by those conversations, we are discussing the Furies and the Harpies, two mythical beings who were the deliverers of divine punishment and personifications of sacred rage. Yes, things are going to get interesting. But first, in place of a listener question, I was thinking that we should pull a card from this new small spells deck that I just got in the mail. Kristen, what do you think? (laughs) Yes, I would love that. I haven't been able to get my hands um, on one of these decks yet, you know, customs situations. But Mm -hmm. listeners, Kate and I wrote this deck together for Tamed Wild, Mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful and it's available now on the website. And it was so much fun to write. Um, so Kate, are you going to pull a card for us? I am. I am. I've got one right here. Um, we are receiving a messaging from clearing a path, which I love. And it says, speak while imagining a clear path toward your goals and dreams. Ahead I forge, the path is clear. My destination growing near the negativity that wants to hinder my path going forward, it will not last. Mm. So listeners, if you, if this is, if this speaks to you, definitely a small spell that you can practice today. Yeah, it feels like that is going to be my mantra for today. And it also feels fitting for today's conversation about harpies and furies. I could not agree more. So Kristen, should we get into it? Yes, let's talk sacred rage. Also known as the Aranese, the Furies are three sisters, often mentioned together as a single entity. Stories tell us that the Furies are angry, malevolent spirits and personifications of vengeance who arrive not to cast judgment, for that has already been decided, but to enact punishment. 
in Barbara Walker's The Woman's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets, it says that in some cases, Aranese means avenger, referring to the goddess Demeter after her daughter was abducted and taken to the underworld. During this period of loss and confusion, Demeter was inconsolable and wreaked havoc on the earth, destroying every tree and rooted plant until nothing would grow. The loss of her daughter, Persephone, sparked Demeter's sacred rage, which was quite effective, because if we know the story, to appease the heartbroken mother, Zeus, ends up striking a deal with Hades for Persephone's return. Only when Persephone returns from the underworld and rejoins her mother in the land of light does Demeter reclaim her role as the generous, abundant Earth Mother, who, alongside her daughter, delivers us flowers and endless fields of wheat. When considering Demeter as an embodiment of the Furies, it makes sense that it is she who punishes all trespassers against matriarchal law. It says that in her fearsome avenger aspect, the goddess represents the scolding mother and sometimes shows up as a nightmare with the head of a black horse with snakes for hair. Which sounds awfully familiar to another monstrous moon goddess that we love, Medusa, whose name will come up a little later when we get to the Furies family tree. According to Barbara Walker, the Greeks believed that any time a mother was insulted, injured, or murdered, the Furies rose to action. She says, quote, The blood of a slain mother infected her murderer with a spiritual poison, miasma, the mother's curse. End quote. The miasma summoned the Furies to the offender and also infected anyone who dared help them. Sometimes these people would refer to the Furies by another name, Emanitus, which means the good ones, a friendly moniker that some hoped would divert the sisters' wrath. The Furies were also known as the Children of Eternal Night, the Night-Born Sisters, and the writer Sophocles called them Daughters of Earth and Shadow. But they also had individual names— there was Tisiphone, with a face that alluded to her desire for retaliation and destruction. She had a penchant for going after murderers. There was Megara, a name that means grudge or envy. She went after people who lied, cheated, and stole from their partners. And then there was Electo, the unnameable one, the never-ending one, who wasn't drawn to specific crimes, but instead all of them. So in a general sense, Electo oversaw the moral codes humans and gods should abide by. The Furies were associated with witches and fairies, perhaps because of their ability to curse another, or because they sought revenge against those who harmed women or acted unjustly. But the Furies were also friends with the Fates, the Mirai, the Three Sisters and Weavers of Destiny. I have an article up on the Tamed Wild blog about the Sisters of Destiny that explains a bit more about their purpose and powers. I pulled a small section for today's conversation. It reads, As the youngest, Clotho personifies the waxing phase of the moon. Clotho is the maiden, young, creative, and full of promise. 
With minimal effort, she works her spindle to turn raw materials into the finest threads. Anything is possible within the nimble mind and body of Clotho, the maiden. And Lachesis, she is the mother, as represented by the bold and influential full moon. She relies on a magic rod to measure and test the threads. It is up to her to make sure they're strong enough to withstand a lifetime. But in the end, it's Atropos, the wise crone, who is left to deal with the finality of life. Like the waning moon, she is skilled in destruction, or better yet, transformation. With her shears, she releases our soul from the realm of the living. So while the fates have an entirely different role than the Furies, their jobs are intertwined. Many times it's the fates that send the Furies on missions while they are reviewing and deciding the details of our lives, weighing positive deeds against the questionable. Although the Furies may steer the wheel of karma, so to speak, they do so under the watchful eye of the fates. Sometimes, but not often, a visit from the Furies might be considered a good thing so long as the punishment isn't too severe. Because some thought that if we heed the Furies' lessons, then perhaps Atropos, the wise, oldest weaver of fate, will allot us a few more years on this earth. Although sometimes the Furies are described as hideous crones, in most Greek art, the Furies are serious, stern, but beautiful maidens. Sometimes they have bat wings, sometimes they bark like dogs. Often they carry torches and whips, and hissing serpents frame their faces. Halos of scales that reflect the moon, and their misunderstood coven of maidens turned monsters. In Ovid's Metamorphosis, Book 4, he describes Tisiphone, the fury of retaliation. It reads, quote, Then fell Tisiphone, with rage was stung, and from her mouth the untwisted serpents hung. Girt in a bloody gown, a torch she shakes, and round her neck twines speckled wreaths of snakes. Part of her tresses loudly hiss, and part spread poison as their forky tongues they dart. Then from her middle locks two snakes she drew, whose merit from superior mischief grew. So again, we're back here with the very Medusa-like description of women sporting halos of snakes for hair. Uh, so let's talk about the Fury's family tree for a moment. The most widely accepted theory is that the Furies were born after the Titan Cronus castrated his father, Uranus, and then when Uranus's blood dripped onto the earth goddess Gaia, the Furies were born. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's probably because you're thinking of Aphrodite, who was born under similar circumstances when Uranus's blood trickled into the sea and the goddess of love was born from sea foam. So yes, Aphrodite, our goddess of love and desire, is sister to the Furies, which I love and I find so interesting. And this is perhaps where Aphrodite gets one of her nicknames that doesn't get mentioned too much, 
destroyer of men or manslayer. Because Aphrodite is not all flowers and feel-good moments, she also takes on the dark sides of love and passion. And so it's likely that her want for vengeance, her occasional jealousy, her grief over the loss of Adonis are traits that she shares with her sisters and that she has because she is sister to the Furies. Other origin stories claim that the Furies are the children and disciples of Persephone and Hades. We see this in the Orphic Hymn 29 to Persephone, where Persephone is referred to as an avenging goddess, a subterranean queen, and the source of the Aranes, or the Furies. But the idea that the Furies are children of Uranus or Hades are some of the newer theories, because older stories claim that the Furies are not children of Persephone or Gaia, but Nyx our primordial night mother who oversaw the natural laws of the universe. In this version, she is both mother and father of the Furies. Virgil's Aeneid, an epic poem written between 29 and 19 BC, agrees that Nyx is the Furies' mother, but that Pluto, the Roman version of Greeks Hades, is the father. And so now tying this all back to Medusa, some theories for the Furies origin tells us that their father is not Hades, not Pluto, not Uranus, but Phorcus, a primordial sea god who is also Medusa's father. And while there isn't much evidence to support this theory, I imagine it has something to do with Forcus fathering other serpentine monsters, um, including Medusa and the Gorgon sisters, also possibly Echidna, who we talked about in our Mothers of Monsters episode. Although the Furies were originally defenders of women, maternal bloodlines, and the destructive but necessary powers of the Dark Goddess, over time they transformed into defenders of the patriarchy, which is why we often see them working for Zeus, even though it's evident that he is also fearful of the Furies. From Mysteries of the Dark Moon by Demetra George, it suggests that when patriarchal laws triumphed over the jurisdiction held by the Aranes or the Furies um, as avenging deities, these goddesses were banished from their honored, highly respected positions in society. It says that fearful, scary stories started to circulate, claiming that it was dangerous to even mention the Furies by name in conversation, and instead, to be on the safe side, one should refer to them as the kindly ones or the lovely ladies. George goes on to say that, quote, when we banish the Aranes and do not allow them to exercise their powers in protecting the code of right relationship to our family members, they will emerge in our shadow selves as our own worst enemies. When the shadow Aranes takes over our lives, we may discover the furious, raging personality within us, consumed with a desire for vengeance. Caught in the grip of this archetype, we may commit horrible and ugly deeds against our kinsfolk or other loved ones who we think have wronged either us or a member of our family. The Aranes will take the form of our subsequent pangs of consciousness. End quote. 
Mysteries of the Dark Moon suggests that while the Furies or the Aranese carry a unique story, there are many overlaps with fellow archetypal dark goddesses like Medusa and Persephone, Nyx and the Fates, who I've already mentioned. But pieces of the Fury stories also exist within those of Indian Kali, Sumerian Lilith, Scandinavian Hell, the Sirens, the Celtic Crone, Cauldron Stirring Caridwen, Slavic Baba Yaga, really any wicked witch from folklore and myth, and also our beloved Hecate. Like the Furies, who were set to bark to signal their arrival, Hecate carries a torch and was also associated with dogs. She was often said to be flanked by her trusty hellhounds, so it's not hard to imagine that perhaps the Furies and Hecate work together, with the Furies acting as an extension of our Queen of Shades. And while many of these dark goddesses I mentioned just moments ago are associated with the underworld and death, in the book Lady of the Beasts by Buffy Johnson, it suggests that these beings actually live on the fringe. It says that the Fury's closest animal allies, the dog and the snake, are synonymous symbols in the sense that they both belong to the borderland rather than the actual underworld. Perhaps letting us know that our liminalities, our desire to exist in a realm that is neither black nor white, here nor there, can serve as a threshold to justice and perhaps even a secret doorway leading to a better understanding of sacred rage. Now, let's talk about the strange creatures of the sky, the winged, the fierce harpies. No stranger to the sacred rage that you just spoke so beautifully about, Kristen. Harpies were generally depicted as birds with the heads of maidens, faces gaunt and pale with hunger, and long claws on their hands reaching forth. Called the Hounds of Zeus, the harpies have compelled storytellers since ancient times. Roman and Byzantine writers detailed their ugliness, while pottery art depicted the harpies as beautiful women with wings. Ovid described them as human vultures, and they were considered to be the wild winds personified. Virgil described harpies as bird-bodied, girl-faced things. They are abominable, their droppings, their hands are talons, their faces haggard with hunger insatiable. The harpies' parents varied depending on the source, and they were popularly thought to be the daughters of Thomas and Electra. This is established by Hesiod and echoed by Hyginus. Alternatively, Servius believed they were the daughters of Gaia and a sea god, either Pontus or Poseidon. One of the beings that haunted my childhood was the harpy, depicted in my favorite childhood movie of The Last Unicorn, and I love when fellow fans send me messages about this one. But the harpy Solano teaches an important lesson in this movie. Wild creatures cannot be tamed. The character Mommy Fortuna keeps the harpy at her night circus until the unicorn sets all of the creatures at the circus free. 
The rest of the beings in the circus have been glamoured to appear as mythic creatures. However, the only two true immortal beings are the harpy and the unicorn, characters in contrast to one another. As the unicorn walks away from the harpy, as the harpy eats her captor, she advises her friend, the magician, never to run away from anything immortal. It only catches their attention. The name Silano here was not chosen randomly, but rather is a callback to Greek mythology's three harpy sisters. Quote, the three harpies, Alipis, Silano, and Asipete, daughters of Thomas and Ozamine, they are said to be feathered, with cock's heads, wings, and human arms, with great claws, breasts, bellies, and female parts, human. And Silano is gifted with the art of prophecy, playing a role in Aeneas's voyage from Troy to Italy. Newly arrived on the Strafades, islands in the Ionian Sea, Aeneas and his crew slaughter cattle and goats as they prepare the meal for a feast. Twice the harpies ruin the banquet, and the Trojans meet a third attack with their weapons and succeed in driving away the harpies. However, Solano in turn drives away the Trojans when she announces that they will not accomplish their mission in Italy without suffering such terrible hunger that they are forced to eat their tables. One of the most commonly shared myths of the harpies goes like this. King Phineas of Thrace was given the gift of prophecy by Zeus. Angry that Phineas gives away one of the gods' secret plans, Zeus punishes him by blinding him and putting him on an island with a buffet of food that he could never eat because the harpies always arrived to steal the food out of his hands before he could satisfy his hunger. This continued until the arrival of Jason and the Argonauts. Phineas promised to instruct them respecting the course they had to take if they would deliver him from the harpies. The Boreads, son of Boreas, the north wind, who could also fly, succeeded in driving off the harpies. According to an ancient oracle, the harpies were to perish by the hands of the Boreades, but the Boreades were to die if they could not overtake the harpies. The harpies fled, but one fell into the river Tigris, which was hence called Harpies, and the other reached the Echinades, and as she never returned, the islands were called the Strophades. But being worn out with fatigue, she fell down simultaneously with her pursuer, and they promised to leave Phineas alone, and then the two harpies were not killed. According to the others, the Boreads wanted to kill the harpies when Hermes then appeared and commanded the conquerors to set them free promising that Phineas would not be bothered by the harpies again. And I so love to think the winged sandals of Hermes somehow make him kin to the harpies, though I couldn't find any relation between them. And we've talked about the twisting of vultures from nature's alchemist and death eater to frightful bird on this podcast before, but I can't help but see the perception and reputation of the harpy as similar what might be the very roots of the angels, guardians of heaven that we know from Christian lore today, might be the harpies, the winged goddesses who attended the funerals, the psychopomps who guided souls to the underworld, heaven, the blessed fields, and not monsters, but divine priestesses. For some scholars have suggested that the ancient Greeks were inspired by bronze cauldron art of bird women in ancient Aratu. 
in Lady of the Beast, the beautiful book that you mentioned earlier, Kristen, harpies are, quote, female death spirits from Mount Dicti, home of the Cretan goddesses, embodied in carrion birds, probably vultures. They had bird bodies with women's heads and breasts, suggesting the Minoan style of funerary priestesses in feather costumes with bare necks and bosoms. Their name meant snatchers or pluckers, perhaps related to their use of the harp in funerary music, since a harp is played with plucking motions. Patriarchal Hellenic myths make the harpies obnoxious monsters, but they seem to have once been the same as Dakinis or Valkyries. Christian iconography continued to picture winged angels who carried souls to heaven as harp players. End quote. So when the harpies appear, what is the message? Perhaps, much like the Furies, it is to embody rage, a wild wind, to spread your immortal wings and eat your captors. Or maybe it is to consider relationship to death, to symbols like the vulture, to attend funerals with your harp, to guide, to see the future, to prophecy. The three harpies, much like the three fates or the triple goddess, embody the sacred number of three. And maybe the harpies, too, stand at the crossroads of history and mythology and each look off in a different direction, calling forth the strange song of the shapeshifters, half woman and half bird. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8 Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog tamedwild.com. Join us for next week's episode for the third and final installment of Mythical Creatures Part 2. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it, so mote it be or something better. Until next time. <laughs>